As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Champions League, of course. Real Madrid are at Anfield, fresh from El Clasico. Bayern Munich are in Paris, fresh from Civil War. We'll preview the action and Man City's trip to Dortmund. Chelsea against Porto, not so much. Plus, Serie A, Inter on a hotter streak than that man in Granada, Europa League and much, much more in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining us on Tuesday the 13th of April or after. Tuesday the 13th of April, a big day, of course, in European football. And with us today, we've got the Euro crew. Alvaro. Hello, James. Rafa. Hello, James. Jules. Bonjour. And welcome back, James Horncastle. Hello, guys. Woo! Woo! James joining us from Leeds today, is that right? Uh, yeah, Yorkshire nice. in the countryside. Yeah. Beautiful. Very nice. All right, well, as I say, it's a big day in Europe. Here we are between two European legs, some invitingly open. Who is going to get a semi? That's the question. We'll be talking about the Champions League clashes that are coming up Tuesday and Wednesday. But, of course, we'd like to begin our Tuesday podcast with a moment of the weekend each with Paddy Power. Who wants to start today? Jules. My moment of the week, James, has to be another defeat for Dijon. That's 12 in a row in the league, which is level with the most defeats uh, in the history of uh, the French top flight. There's a few teams uh, who've, done, who've done 12 as well before, but they just won away, obviously, to, be, to become the worst team ever uh, wow. in the league, which, which would be something, really. That must leave a bitter taste in their mouth, I imagine. Definitely. Et cetera, and so on. Yeah. You'd have thought they'd have mustered some response by now after such a poor after run of results. 12 disappointments, yeah. Okay, let's move on then. Uh, that's a great moment of the weekend. Alvaro, what about for you? has to be El Clásico. Real Madrid are back to their best. Uh, they're playing with the touch and care of an artisan and they are cruising through all the big games. They win Barcelona in El Clásico. They beat Liverpool a few days before El Clásico and they look set to have a big title race. In fact, I would say that now they are La Liga favourites. If they 
keep on the players that they've got available because they also seem to be losing plenty of players but they beat Barcelona not comfortably but probably deservedly and Real Madrid are in a great form. Okay, one point behind Atletico going into the next round of fixtures and of course 3-1 up against Liverpool ahead of their clash at Anfield. Rafa? A couple of things, James. Uh, First of all, Jude Bellingham's first goal for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. A wonderful uh, little finish to uh, help Dortmund win 3-2 at Stuttgart. Huge win for them to stay in the race for top four. But also Dani Olmo's goal for uh, Leipzig. What a beautiful, beautiful move. Worth watching. Zapitzer auf Olmo. Gut abgelegt auf Kampel. Kommt sie mal ab. Nee, legt nochmal ab auf Olmo. Olmo! Ach, und da haben wir einen Grad noch kritisiert. So soll es doch sein. Und dann macht Dani Olmo das Tor. Zum 1 zu 0 hier in der genau 23. Spielminute. The finish, fairly straightforward. But the whole move involved a, a one-two and a, and a back heel. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. Kind of thing you might be seeing very soon at Bayern Munich, of course, Rafa. Well, that is um, if Julian Nagelsmann comes to succeed Hansi Flick, which is something that is not impossible. Not impossible. All right, James Horncastle, what are you going to give us? Well, what did Zlatan say um, half an hour before the end uh, of the game against Parma? Um, a Milan win. He was sent off by the referee who, um, who may have got confused about what Zlatan was saying. I think uh, uh, Zlatan said something like... Uh, Uh, mi sembra un po' strano. It seems a little strange to me. And the referee, I think, perhaps thought he said, tu sei un bastardo. You are a, uh, you are a bastard, um, which uh, Zlatan did not say, apparently. So um, it didn't matter in the end because uh, uh, Milan won. And they had to, James, because I think this is the developing story in Serie A. We all know who's going to win the league, but we don't know who's going to get in the Champions League because uh, if Lazio win their game in hand against Torino, there will be five teams separated by five points And that doesn't include Roma, who, with eight games remaining, I don't think can be ruled out just yet. Crikey. All right. Well, much for us to discuss. But, of course, we're going to begin with the Champions League. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive. No shot bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Champions League Wednesday sees Real Madrid at Anfield. They're 3-1 up from the game at Valdebebas. And Dortmund will be taking on Man City, who are 2-1 up from the game at the Etihad, which was a lot closer than most people expected. Before that, though, of course, Tuesday, which sees Chelsea Porto, but in Seville again, and Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern. Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern. Last week, what an exceptional game it was in Munich. Paris Saint-Germain with a 3-2 win against the Bavarians. Jules, memorable front page on L'Equipe the next day. A déguster glacé. Serve chilled. Meaning revenge, right? Yeah, or even savour chilled. Because, um, you know, more, more than just served. It was the way that PSG fans and players could enjoy that win because it doesn't happen many often that uh, Bayern Munich lose at home in the Champions League, well, lose full stop, especially in the Champions League the last few years. And to go there, score three goals, even if PSG considered loads of chances, even if Bayern was certainly the better side over the night. The fact that Kylian Mbappe put that kind of performance, that Kylian Navas in goal put that kind of performance, despite the snow, despite the wind, despite Marquinhos' injury after half an hour, both teams really losing quite a lot of players very early on. But it was a great... Um, 
success, but, but also I think show of character and, and mental strength from, from the Parisians to go there and to be able to win that game in, the, in those conditions. Right. Rafa, you actually lost sleep over this game. <laughs> I did. I woke up at three at, uh, three at night the next night um, thinking about Hansi Flick and all this sort of stuff. Um, it was tough to watch. What, what were you thinking about Hansi Flick at three in the morning? I don't know. I was I was having a nightmare. I guess uh, can't can't exactly recap. Were you thinking about a Hansi Flick at that? Uh. <laughs> no, James. Oh. No, no. Bayern created so many chances. Of course, they made some stupid mistakes, but that's almost part of the program because the openness on one side is a direct function of the attacking prowess and potential on the other side and you can't really have one without the other but of course Bayern spent the whole game chasing and chasing and chasing and conceded some pretty silly goals especially the first one and, and, and the last one I guess the hope is from Bayern's point of view that they can create the same performance in attack score more goals but defend better and I guess considering that they've lost the first game at home 3-2 against top opposition under normal circumstances, you'd be talking about a miracle. But because they played so well and because it's COVID times and no crowd, etc., perhaps it's not quite as big a task. But of course, they need everything to go right for them on the night. But what, what realistically can they expect to do better, given that they already dominated possession, dominated shots? And Lewandowski is not back for this game, even though you sneakily told Jules earlier today that he was, only to see the reaction on Jules' face. Jules, how did so you feel? Bad. Jules went white. <laughs> so realistically, how, you know, where is this, frankly, miracle going to come from? Well, some better finishing shouldn't be beyond Bayern. I mean, they, they created enough chances to, to win the tie, let alone the game. I don't think they have to create quite as much. I mean, a 2-0 win would be enough. A 3-1 win might be enough. I don't think they have to score hundreds of goals. It's just that um, they need a bit more efficiency. And the big talk in Munich was that PSG were the more efficient side and they had done to Bayern what other teams have, you know, have had to suffer uh, against Bayern, which is to play well, create chances. But Bayern tend to be the team with a killer instinct. On the night it was PSG because they created, they had three goals from only six shots and Bayern had... 31 and only two goals so that was a mismatch that just needs to be a lot more in line with what usually happens and then Bayern can can still make it I mean Thomas Müller was saying a lot of interesting things in the press conference on on Monday one of them was that uh, human beings in terms of psychology tend to fear loss quite strongly so I think he was saying that PSG will feel that they've done enough now to be in a really strong position. But if Bayern can insert some doubt into that thinking, thinking that, oh, no, we might actually lose this, this might slip away from us, then Bayern can play on that. And that's going to be the aim. Right. Fear, fear would be enough to take them through, of course, you know, in, in German numbers uh, terms. Uh, Jules, uh, that's something that we saw slightly in the second leg with Barcelona, no? that, that creeping fear. Yeah, although I, I think there was there was a different context with Barcelona because of the remontada, because the gap was bigger from the first leg. 
And I, I think it's hard to, to know exactly what to do when you're so ahead after the first leg. In a way, this time, because it's so narrow and because Bayern were the better team in the first leg, I don't think PSG can can either take this game for granted or be too scared. You just have to play your game. If, if you're good enough, then you're going to qualify. If you're not, and if they're better than you, you, you might get knocked out. But at least you won't have regrets that like you could have had if you had had a known game against Barcelona in the second leg, for example. So it's quite fascinating, I think, I think tactically with the players coming back for PSG still missing. Same with Bayern, the ones who come back, who is fully fit, who is only 80%, who is only 50%, who is missing and see what the dynamic is. I, I suspect the first 15, 20 minutes, we will have a, a pretty good idea if Bayern can do in Paris what they did at home and put PSG under so much pressure. And then we can see very quickly as well if Neymar and Mbappe are in the same kind of form and mindset than we saw in the first leg. If you add variety to that, I think the Bayern high line with, with Boateng and Lucas Hernandez or Alaba, whoever plays at the back for Bayern could be in big trouble because now that they know exactly how to do it and now that they've done it, which was very different to the final where PSG could not break or could not exploit really the, 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 the Bayern's defensive sort of fragilities in a way. Now that they've done it, I can tell you that Kylian Mbappe right now is thinking, OK, now I want to do it all over again on Tuesday night and continue his goal-scoring streak. So I think it'd be quite fascinating. Jules, uh, I'm a PSG fan now that all the Italian teams are yes. out. Yes, yes. Uh, in part because PSG down the years are essentially a City Out all-star team. Um, True. So what I'm going to say, the reason why I'm afraid as a PSG fan uh, is because your best performances have all come on the road. You beat United at Old Trafford, you beat Barcelona at the Camp Nou, you beat Bayern at the Allianz. And all the big games in Ligue 1, you've lost them at home. One win so, in the last five at home. That's true. So what's although, going on? Although all those games, if you look at the, the way those games went and the game plans, all those teams, Nantes, Lille, Lyon, even Marseille, all sat really deep and just waited and let the ball to PSG and just counter and counter and counter and counter, which Bayern is not, are not going to do tomorrow. One, it's not their game. And two, I don't even think they've got the players, just look at Chupamoting, to be able to do that anyway. So... It'd be a very different uh, opposition and, and the, the, the way the opposition will play against PSG than, than in all those defeats, especially against bigger teams. And I think that will suit PSG a bit more if they can play on the counter. Not that they did it that well against, against Barca, but I still think that they, would, they, 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 they struggle a bit more against a team that just play really deep and wait for them and counter them than the other way around, which I, I suspect would be more the case tomorrow. Maybe... I can play the Duncan Alexander role here uh, a little bit and say how difficult it is to come back um, from a one-goal deficit um, away from home. Uh, in 30 years of Champions League tires and all that, it has happened only four times. So I think that uh, the odds are really unfavorable to, towards Bayern. Uh, it only happened twice in 2019 with Ajax against Real Madrid and... Spurs at uh, Johan Cruyff Arena, then in 2010, Inter beating Bayern, and in 1996 with Ajax uh, getting the better of Panathinaikos. But normally, coming back from one goal deficit away I, from home is almost impossible in the I, Champions I, League. Are you trolling me as well? Is that your way of trolling me? Because no one had ever come back from a 4-0 defeat in a, home, in a first leg before, and Barca did against PSG. No one had ever come back from a 2-0 defeat at home Away from home, and Manchester United did Man that United. to PSG. So trust wow, me. Wow, when you put it like that, Jules, it's almost like PSG have a bit of a habit of these kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they they've got a, a tendency to generate their own problem. Well, 
I mean, who doesn't? No. But um, coming into this game, they're at least uh, fresh from a 4-1 win away at Strasbourg with Mbappe scoring again. He's now got 13 goals in 11 matches. Uh, meanwhile, Bayern held 1-1 this Saturday by Union Berlin. And not only that, but Rafa, they've got a semi-civil war simmering away kind of behind the scenes and also not so behind the scenes. I don't know how semi it is because it's pretty full on, James. Um, Flick against Salihamidzic has been um, a running battle, secretly and not so secretly, for well over a year now. Essentially, uh, there's a personality clash, but there's also a disagreement over transfers, a lot of the transfers that have been made, and some of them that haven't been made uh, by Salihamidzic have been criticised uh, by, by Flick. Um, he's been increasingly vocal about this. He even went so far uh, before the Union Berlin game as to say that the quality of the team this year is obviously worse than last year. Um, everyone knows that, you know, which is something that very, very unusual for a coach to say, especially at Bayern. And there are wider implications because Flick is being backed by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. Um, Salihamidzic is being backed by Uli Hoeneß. Those two have had problems the big guys uh, on top of them have had problems for for decades and there is a suggestion that Hansi Flick will actually go and speak to Oliver Kahn who's going to be the future chief executive after the PSG game and say you know what this has all been fun but I've had enough I want to be coaching Germany where I only have a game every three months and I have no sporting director and I can pick my own players as long as they're German anyway so things are very much coming coming to a head and it's not been the ideal preparation, I think, for Bayern. But the players, I think, will be able to push that aside at least for 90 minutes or maybe maybe more than that, who knows. But of course, it makes the situation just slightly more volatile than it already would be. Bayern losing is always a big story. Bayern getting knocked now, out now in the quarterfinals, having already been knocked out in the, in the German Cup would... Uh, yeah, would make the situation very, very precarious for everyone involved. Mm. Well, as you previously mentioned, Julian Nagsman, the hot favourite to take over, should Hansi Flick step aside. There you go, a huge game coming up then on Tuesday. And there's a lot more about the ins and outs um, at Bayern and the whole background and Nagelsmann's future on the Stahlkast pod, if you want to listen a bit more to me, but more importantly to Christoph Biermann, and Ronnie Rang, who really know their stuff. Oh, and one other thing, James, is that the referee tomorrow in the quarterfinal second leg is Daniele Orsato. And Rafa will remember that he was the ref in the final in August, who broke my heart. Yeah, and, and that's great for James, because James Honkers, so he can actually cheer him on. You know, it's an nice. Italian interest. Yeah, make a few phone calls, James. Because, you know, between Italians, that's what, that's what you do. Well, a huge game coming up then uh, at the Parc des Princes. Uh, Jules, a very quick title race update from Ligue 1, if you could, before we move on to Liverpool or Real Madrid. Yeah, all the top four have won. So PSG, as we said, against Strasbourg. Lille as well against Metz, even if it was hard and Mignon had to, uh, to, to save a penalty in the first half. Lyon with a really good performance on Sunday night. And, and Monaco as well, who went nearly in a halftime like they usually do and then makes a lot of changes at second half and usually end up winning it. So... 
status quo in, in the top four, but the, the race for the title is still very, very close. So three points between Lille and PSG and then only two points behind Lyon and Monaco. So very exciting. Right. They could, I mean, finishing in the top three is not guaranteed for Paris Saint-Germain. No, just, for anyone. Just saying, well, for anyone, but also not for Paris Saint-Germain. All right. Well, let's hear then next up about Real Madrid's big week. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Ahí va, ahí va Cross, ahí va Cross, que va a golpear. Ahí va Don Antonio, ahí va la térmico, ahí va Tony, Tony el Germano Cross, chuta Cross, gol, gol, gol. Huge week for Real, Alvaro Romeo, and it's going pretty well then. That 3 1 win over Liverpool, and then El Clasico, a 2 1 victory over there. Nemesis from Catalonia, Barcelona. 13 games unbeaten in all competitions. And Zidane flexing his tactical chops for everybody, Alvaro. Yes, and it's unbelievable if you take the record of Zidane. I mean, every season that he has started as a manager of Real Madrid, he has brought at least a trophy to the team. And, you know, he was the manager of Real Madrid at the beginning of the 2021 season, so... He wouldn't be defying the odds if Real Madrid touches some silverware at the end of this uh, campaign as well. To be honest, I think that Real Madrid was a little bit upset even that uh, they didn't beat uh, Liverpool by a bigger margin because the 3-1 uh, opens the door for Liverpool to to have some hope and to qualify with, uh, with the 2-0 victory at Anfield. And uh, the goal of Mohamed Salah against Real Madrid at Valdebebas uh, came... Just in the only mistake that Real Madrid did defensively, but in the game they managed to handcuff Liverpool, they dominated them, and uh, this is a very good time for Real Madrid. The only problem for them is that in the same way that they are getting all the important results, they are losing players week after week. Uh, to start with, Eden Hazard is still not in the match day for Liverpool, which he will not be. Lucas Vázquez, who was deputizing for Carvajal, is out for the season too. By the way, he hasn't extended his contract. And many more like Sergio Ramos and, you know, all the, basically, the defense of Real Madrid will be out for this game, which makes it very difficult for them. But they manage to find always like a way to be competitive, at least. And this is something that has defined Real Madrid for many years. And Real Madrid is living up to their definition in the last couple of weeks. I read it as well that Tony Cruz might be in doubt for the game at Anfield. Is that right? Mm, yeah, but he should be playing. He should be okay. playing that game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if not, Fede Valverde could play, but uh, the magisterial touches of Tony Cruz, I mean, are uh, irreplaceable for Real Madrid. So I think that if he is 90% fit, he's going to be mm. playing. Okay, well, he was once again on the score sheet in the uh, Saturday Classico between. Real and Barcelona amid a massive downpour in Madrid, but a, a, another spectacular a game this one. A free kick deflected in uh, from Tony Cruz, and then a shin goal. Well, there was, first of all, there was that incredible Karim Benzema uh, goal. That was his A, it was his ninth goal in his last seven league games, but secondly, the quality of the strike, Alvaro. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, Karim Benzema is having the time of his life at Real Madrid, and he scored the, a goal that if you check it out, the whole sequence, I mean, he does the, ra the run in the ra right time, he waits, he's patient, then he attacks the small box, and then his, um, his uh, shot with the back heel was pretty much unstoppable and very very sparky as well, so that's why I think that uh, Ter Stegen was never expecting something like that. So yeah, Karim mm. Benzema is the main uh, threat of Real Madrid, that's uh, unquestionable, and this is something that we have to put into perspective. Ten years ago, Jose Mourinho uh, uh, nicknamed him the cat because he thought that he yeah. wasn't a dog. He wasn't a, a capable of uh, being the aggressive striker he wanted to have. Well, Karim Benzema is that great striker. So he was he was bread or cheese in that in that <laughs> case. That should be, that should be the, the cheese, right? He said in a press conference now afterwards, you can't go hunting with a pussycat. Like, look what I've been given to work with. And here we are with Benzema notching up his 25th goal of the season with that back heel against Barcelona. Intriguingly, Lionel Messi, who scored more goals and supplied more assists than any other player in classical history, hasn't managed to do a single one of either in the six meetings with Real Madrid that he's played since Cristiano Ronaldo left for Juventus. What does it mean? I don't know. But uh, you reckon that that victory, Alvaro, puts Real Madrid in the favourite spot for the title this year in La Liga? They've got the psychological upper hand, I would say. But the thing is that, again, there are so many players uh, getting injuries and all that, that it's very difficult to sustain the level. And even Zidane has said that uh, his squad is so skint at the minute that uh, this is even critical. But Real Madrid showed against Barcelona that uh, they were capable of controlling that game. Even when Barcelona in the second half had the control of the game, the game was where Real Madrid wanted because they played in the counter-attack in the second half. And I think that what makes it different between Real Madrid and Barcelona is that Barcelona has been the whole season chasing because they had a terrible start. Even uh, in the game against Real Madrid, they were chasing uh, because they had a, a deficit to come back from uh, the scoreline. But uh, Real Madrid has been kind of comfortable. The only time when they suffered, it was in the Champions League in December, when it wasn't clear whether they would uh, um, make it to the knockout stages of the Champions League. But ever since then, they've been good enough. And I think that that uh, gives them the upper hand over Atletico and over Barcelona, because uh, this is a team that won the title last season. They got 31 points out of 30 in summer 2020 and if they replicate this kind of form which they seem capable of um, then they will be the title winners that's for sure and another thing they have won the head-to-head -head with Atletico and with Barcelona so in a hypothetical leveling of points uh, they will be the champions I see it currently stands with Atletico Real Madrid and then Barcelona 1-2-3 but separated the three of them by only two points and you mentioned Real Madrid dropping players the same thing going on with Atletico, who had a 1-1 draw against Betis Seville uh, this weekend, with uh, João Felix uh, going out injured alongside Kieran Trippier, and also on that injury list, Luis Suarez, Thomas Lamar, and Moussa Dembele. So, quite worrying. What about then, Alvaro, what about Anfield? Liverpool not with the greatest record at home. They lost two of their last five in Europe at Anfield. But uh, what, what do you think? Are Real Madrid going to do it? A couple of things. I think that they will do it, yes. And I do believe that if Real Madrid um, feels a little bit of a complex because they are missing players, they will suffer. But if they try to control the game, Liverpool is highly controllable. Uh, they did it at Valdebebas, and I think that they can control the game at Anfield. So my answer could be if they go for it, they can even win the game. OK. Uh, before we leave uh, La Liga, some good news for Antoine Griezmann, whose third child was born 
Last Thursday, what's so remarkable about this, Alvaro? The remarkable thing about this is that uh, the three children were born in, on the same day, different years, of course, which makes it like a fantastic coincidence. Incredible, no? Awesome and pretty skillful planning. April the 8th, the birthday of all three of his children over the span of five years. Mm. Probably he wished he was more clinical on the pitch than with his planning, eh? Antoine Griezmann. Anyway. Nice. By the way, yeah. th there is another trivia over there that I find quite amazing. I mean, the age difference between Cristiano Ronaldo's son and Messi's son is the same age difference that Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi have. I don't know if this is the anticipation of a new, of a new dynasty or a new uh, rivalry between the, the son, no? the main hairs. Yeah, is it to the day exactly the same? Yeah, 869 days difference between wow. Cristiano Ronaldo's son and Messi's son, the same as Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. Wow. Have a moment to think about that, listener. It must mean something. Yeah, pff, but what? I don't know. Not for us to say, I, I think. Anyway, next up, Italian club in Europe, Claxon. At Paddy Power, we know there are plenty of risks in football. Parking the bus at 1-0, signing that promising youngster for 50 million. Or predicting Pep's lineups for your fantasy team. But at Paddy Power, we don't want you to take unnecessary risks. So when you sign up for a new account, you'll get your first bet up to £10 risk-free. That's money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. New customers only. Deposit using cards or via Apple Pay. First bet on sportsbook markets only. Minimum deposit. Max refund £10. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Attenzione in area, la conclusione della rete! La Roma in vantaggio con i Bagnets che ha scaricato in porta con una violenza inaudita e una rabbia. That's right, not an April Fool, there is an Italian club still competing in Europe. And it's Roma, James. And they got a huge result last week, winning 2 1 away at Ajax. Woof. Yeah, in Amsterdam. Uh, scene of that uh, famous game between Italy uh, and the Netherlands where Totti and his uh, cucchiaio, his, uh, his dinked penalty over Van der Sar put Italy through to uh, the final against France. Uh, Jules doesn't need to tell us what happened in that game. Which um, year? But, what year? Uh, Which pretty... competition? What year is this? <laughs> but pretty gutsy performance from uh, Roma who right. uh, could have gone 2-0 behind. Um, yeah, they gave a penalty away. Rodri they, Bagnets, they were shocking. No, they were shocking. The first half, Roma were all. Yeah. Well, it was a similar story at the weekend as well against Bologna, where how they didn't go behind in that game uh, in the first half is is a bit of a mystery, um, really. Uh, Mihailovic was incensed. I imagine Ten Hag was after um, Thursday's first leg, and I think it's one of the reasons why Ajax will believe that they can still. Uh, qualify um, in this, um, but yeah, you know, Italians put a lot of stock in you know, a team and a player's ability to kind of suffer and come through the other side of of adversity. And I think Grinta. Roma have done that in each of their last two games. Wonderful finish from um, from Ibanez to kind of redeem himself after giving the penalty away. Um, I think it was it was uh, on the anniversary of either Agostino Di Bartolomei's um, uh, death or his birthday. I can't remember exactly the famous Roma captain. It was very evocative of the kind of goals that he used to score uh, for for the Giallorossi. But um, 
It looks at the moment, James, like you know Roma's best chance of qualifying for the Champions League next year will be by winning the Europa League. Um, I did mention at the top of the show that there's still time for them to get back into contention for the for the top four in Serie A. But um, as the last Italian standing um, in Europe, um, it looks like if they if they were to progress into the semis and then maybe beat United, they'd they'd uh, they'd, uh, they'd they'd be looking to get into the Champions League that way. Right. Well, as you as you mentioned, if they do get through, it's probably Man United who await them, which would be a pretty exciting rematch, given you know, memories of last time Roma went to Old Trafford, the the seven one, that marvelous Vucinic goal, all that stuff. Because Man United still have to get past Granada. They're two 0 up from the away leg, and in pretty good form. United one defeat in eighteen games. Alvaro, any life left in that tie? Not a lot, but a bit of hope, because I think Granada wasn't that bad against Manchester United. They have to score very quickly if they want to unsettle Manchester United. And maybe uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer makes a little favour to Granada if he plays like a, a downgraded squad. That may help, but still, uh, Granada is um, obviously uh, not the favourite for this game. And I think that this is the end of the end of the the end of the dream for them. But uh, considering that this is the first time they play in Europe and reaching the quarterfinals is fantastic. Mm. Excellent. Okay. Uh, the other side of the draw in the Europa League sees Villarreal taking on Dinamo Zagreb, who were somewhat unfortunate to lose 1-0 in the home game against uh, the Spanish side. Unai Emery looking to reach his fifth Europa League final, by the way, uh, standing in their way potentially in the... Well, we don't know, but on the other side of that semi-final, if they get there, is either Slavia Prague or Arsenal who drew 1-1 at the Emirates in front of you, Julian Laurence. Yes, that's right, James. I was there. It was not, not a great game, although the second half was better from Arsenal. Like I said, had that big chance. And then they scored a, a nice goal on the counter. And then you think, OK, 1-0 up. This would be a really positive result for Arsenal. And somehow, again, they found a way of shooting themselves in the foot. And, I mean, it's just terrible. And I saw Arteta after the game and he, I said to him, surely that's not acceptable. To, to, to give away a lead like this. And I think even he was struggling and he was so furious, you could tell. Struggling to understand how you could put yourself in so much danger in the 94th minute, like they've done so many times this season before. And, and, and you, you can blame him for a lot of things, but managing the end of a game like this, I think it's got nothing to do with him. It's just players who, who you know, not playing well in those dying minutes. They're not the biggest name in Europe, Slavia, Prague, but given what they've done so far this season alone in putting out Leicester and putting out Rangers, what do you think is going to happen next Thursday? They haven't lost at home uh, since Inter Milan beat them in the Champions League in 2019 or something like that. It's ridiculous. I mean, they're unbeaten this season and and they, they, they're a good team. They are very solid. They, they change system quite a lot. Tactically, they're quite aware. They've got some good, really, really good players, youngsters like Sima, who plays up front for them, who's very promising, uh, Senegalese striker. And, and they, they're just very solid. And, and Arsenal did well, I thought, to, to go 1-0 up because they, they even had more chances. It's just they gave away that silly goal. So I think this one is really open because I can see Arsenal scoring. I can see Slavia creating chances as well because everybody does against Arsenal. So it's not, it's not completely over for Arsenal. They can easily go there and win and qualify. But they can't make those mistakes again because it, it costs them too much. Or they can. But we'll see anyway on Thursday. Uh, James, we missed you last week, so give us an update on Serie A. Is the title race still tight? 
No, and to be honest, it's to be expected with Antonio Contes in the league um, because if he doesn't get it right one year, he gets it right the next. And that's certainly been the case this time around. They've won 11 games in a row, pretty much well, every game since the second half of the season began. Um, they've got an 11-point advantage on on Milan, who uh, won, as we mentioned at the weekend, but have kind of slowed down a little bit in, uh, in 2021. And uh, yeah, it's kind of strange to see Antonio Conte cracking a smile, willing to sort of joke around in in, in press conferences. So yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, the title race is is over. I think it's just a matter of uh, of when uh, Inter wrap it up. I think they will win the league by double figures. All right. Well, as as with some other uh, major leagues, with the title more or less sorted, it's all about now the race for top four spots. Milan, Juve and Atalanta rounding out the top four. Only two points between them with Napoli and Lazio and potentially Roma kind of knocking on the door as well. Coming up this weekend... Uh, third place Juventus take on Atalanta in Bergamo. There's also Napoli Inter as well. But that's a huge game coming up uh, between Atalanta and Juventus. Juve had a, a similarly big clash last midweek when they defeated Napoli. Atalanta coming into this off the back of a 3 2 win at Fiorentina last weekend and, and, and looking up to their, you know, or back to their high scoring best. But what, what about Juve? How are they looking under Pirlo now? Well, it felt like Pirlo was on the brink, um, didn't it, as we, we last spoke. They went into the international break on the back of going out of the Champions League to Porto and losing to Benevento at home, which was pretty mortifying. Um, and then sort of on the weekend of the Turin derby, it emerges that Andrea Agnelli has sort of had a friendly get-together with with his old friend uh, Max Allegri, um, which you know Pirlo said he was aware of, um, that the president had warned him about it, and you know Pirlo kind of downplayed it, saying that it was a little bit like him going out for dinner with uh, Paolo Maldini and then waking up the next day and finding people linking him with the with the Milan job. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that Allegri's coming in. But you mentioned that win against uh, Napoli, James, in midweek. That felt huge uh, for, for Pirlo. They won 2-1. Um, Paolo Dybala came back. I mean, Dybala's made only eight starts this season. He was the MVP in the league last year and was so crucial in kind of getting the first goal in a lot of big games and turning up in big games as well. So he didn't play um, at the weekend when they beat Genoa. I think he was being saved uh, with this Atalanta game um, in mind, although it's kind of still unclear really where Dybala fits in when you've got Morata and, and Cristiano Ronaldo up front. Um, yeah, I think Pirlo has been asked quite a lot of the time about whether they can all play together um, from the start, um, but I don't think Dybala's fit enough really to do that um, just yet. Um, but those those back-to-back wins have kind of eased the pressure a little um, but Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, cuts a very frustrated figure. I mean, he's top, top of the scoring charts with 25 goals. He did score in the win against Napoli, but he missed a sitter in that game. He missed a sitter against uh, Genoa as well and uh, and was kind of, you know, complaining when passes didn't come his way in, in the Genoa game and then obviously took off his shirt at the end of the game against Genoa and, and appeared to toss it away petulantly which was then explained that he was giving it to a, a ball boy. But missing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, that seems to sum up some of the problems at Juventus, really, that the team had won, but he hadn't scored, and it was a problem. Um, when, you know, essentially what, what matters to Juventus, uh, as their motto goes, is that uh, winning isn't important, it's the only thing that counts, regardless of who's on the score sheet. And... Um, 
But it's a, it's it's going to be a huge game this one against Atalanta because I think since the turn of the year, James Atalanta have got the second best record in Serie A. Um, they've scored more goals than anyone in in, in 2021, um, and I think quite a lot more as well. Um, they've really gotten over selling Papu Gomez and Josip Ilicic kind of reverting to being the kind of mercurial player he was before he moved to Bergamo. Now it's more or less the Muriel and Zapata show um, up front. Um, and they've actually changed the way they play. I mean, you know, after that defeat to Liverpool in Bergamo, James, when they what, shipped five goals, we talked about Atalanta conceding too much and they recalibrated things after that game and they went to Anfield and won, went to Amsterdam and won. But now they're actually playing with a back four. They're starting games with a back four, which isn't something you kind of expect of a Gasparini side. And he said it's not going to be something that they do all the time, but it's, it shows that this team can evolve and can move on. And that's why they stay competitive and they look like they could get into the Champions League for a third year in a row, which is, is still pretty remarkable when they've got a mid-table budget. Atalanta-Juventus coming up this weekend. One more thing from the world of Italian football... Best wishes to Daniele Di Rossi and indeed Simone Inzaghi and all the other people who've been affected. I'm not sure if Inzaghi necessarily was connected with this, but Di Rossi very much so with the outbreak of COVID-19 that's come from the recent international break because the number of players and Di Rossi, who's now with the Azuri, who've now gone down with the the, the illness. And in Di Rossi's case, quite uh, quite seriously, he was uh, with an oxygen mask and, and everything. Uh, any update? Is he Is he improving now? Yeah, I think there was a statement um, or his wife posted on Instagram at the weekend that he was in in better shape. Um, But I think uh, it was quite a scary moment for him um, when he came back from that international break where there was an outbreak. There's been a lot of players who've had COVID. I mean, Jules will know this. It's it's affected Florenzi and Verratti at PSG, um, a couple of the Sassuolo players. And um, De Rossi said, you know, he, he kind of he fainted um, and uh, and sort of lost a lot of his his strength. So that's why they ended up taking the precautionary measure to to go to hospital. But I mean, we've seen you mentioned Simone Inzaghi, his wife uh, was also hospitalised. I mean, in recent weeks, Adriano Galliani, um, chief executive, was in in hospital in intensive care for some time. Um, Beppe Marotta as well, the inter chief executive, was so um, it's really hit hard again. In Italy, and it's hitting it's 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 hitting high-profile people in football too. Just one last thing on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who will make his debut in the cinema. I don't know if you if you've seen, but he's been announcing the casting of uh, Asterix and Obelix. You know Asterix and Obelix, the uh, the gold yes. one. Mm-hmm. He will be antivirus, so yes. he's a spy, uh, and I think I'm uh, very much looking forward to seeing him. And and there's a career after football for you, as well. So it'd be interesting. But, but I mean, he's still supposed to be playing football. This is the thing. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he scored one in his last nine games uh, in, in nice, the league for Nice Milan. assist. And he, he's Palmer. guest. He's he's guest hosting San Remo Music Festival. He's come out of international retirement. He's you know sort of doing films now. It's like <laughs> he's about to sign a new contract with Milan. It's like maybe maybe leave that for another year. Because they're, yeah. they're shooting the movie. It's supposed to start in spring now. So I don't know where he's going to find the time, how, but hey. should take advice from you, Jules. If anyone's able to juggle multiple commitments. <laughs> yeah. 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 Call my agent. Yes. Uh, next up, let's get back onto the Champions League and Wednesday's other big matchup, Dortmund-Man City. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Detroit now. Gunduan. And put in by Phil Foden. Manchester City have the lead. Last minute of the 90. He's Dortmund, Man City. Pep Guardiola's side with a 2-1 lead from the clash at the Etihad. But that was only just Rafa. Could Dortmund do it? Could they? I didn't think so before the first leg, James. I'm, of course, a lot more optimistic after their group performance and, and City being a little bit hesitant and timid, I think, in that first leg. Guardiola seeming, seemingly being very worried about what Dortmund could do and maybe over adjusting as he as he sometimes tends to do in those games I mean Dortmund now have a have a great opportunity it is still going to be really difficult though uh, City are still favorites but I think Dortmund can realistically think that they they can do it now and stranger things have happened it uh, wouldn't be such a huge surprise anymore considering what happened at the Etihad mm. they have their way goal through uh, Marco Royce uh, Jude Bellingham as I think we're all aware now, probably should have opened the scoring had the referee not blown his whistle. He got his first Bundesliga goal at the weekend, though, as Dortmund uh, had that 3-2 victory away at Stuttgart, again, which also uh, featured a goal from Angsgar Knauf, who I think caught many people how by surprise. How do you surprise. pronounce his first name? I'm not oh. sure. How, how did I pronounce his first name? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's not his name. His name is <laughs> Ansgar. That's what I said. Mm, Him yeah. anyway. Well, anyway, so he made, he was the one, he was the surprise inclusion. Yes. He was the Jaden Sancho stand in. Unfortunately, Jaden Sancho not himself available, and he won't be available for the second leg either, which is a big blow because on the break, as you saw, at least in spells, that's where, of course, Dortmund are best, and that's where perhaps City are at their most vulnerable. But Knauf played reasonably well in his first ever start at this level, and then, as you said, actually scored the winner for Dortmund uh, at Stuttgart. A hugely important win because it keeps them at least nominally in the run uh, for fourth spot. There's seven points adrift of Frankfurt who won again in an absolutely superb game. 4-3 against uh, Wolfsburg, third against fourth and uh, one of the best games of the season. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Adi Hutter, who's the uh, Frankfurt manager, uh, currently in talks with Munchen Gladbach over taking over there, Ralph. Yeah, this is not official, but um, a lot of rumours swirling around that he will uh, eventually succeed. Marco Rosa at Borussia Mönchengladbach would be a huge blow for Frankfurt, who are also likely to lose their sporting director, Freddy Bobic. So the two people really chiefly responsible for uh, the, the great uh, couple of years that they've had uh, will probably move on by the time they make it to the Champions League for the first time ever. So it's a bit of a shame that we don't see the team behind the team stay together the way things are, and who knows how many of their big players they can keep, even with the Champions League money coming in. But it is still a tremendous achievement if they can hold on. Uh, six games to go, seven points, they, they should really do it. All right, as for Dortmund, meantime, Pep, as we've mentioned previously, has never taken City beyond the quarterfinals. What do you think, Alvaro, Julian, James? 
Well, I think that uh, there is a problem with Manchester City mm, that makes them very unreliable in knockout games. When it comes to the game dynamics, they are the total opposite of what you would consider a heroic team. They rarely recover from losing positions and they are very bad at managing adverse uh, scorelines. So they are really bad at it for a team of that quality. So mm. I think that this is something that can cost them in the Champions League. They are very good when they score the first goal, and then they manage to control the game, and then they are beautiful to watch. But if the scoreline is nil-nil after the first half, I think that Manchester City are going to be in trouble. I was at the game on Tuesday. I was really impressed by Dortmund, I have to say. I didn't expect them to play at that kind of level, the intensity they played with, the game plan. Terzic was, we had him on interview after the game and he was so good on explaining what they did and trying to force them to play wide, which, as you know, when Cancelo comes inside in midfield, he's there for a reason. And if you cut that off the City game plan, then I think they, they struggle a bit more, as we saw on Tuesday night. And I and just thought Terzic, for all the criticism that we've given him on this show, and I think rightly so, because... I'm not sure he's ready for this kind of level. However, the approach of that game and the way they prepared it was brilliant. And I just wonder if they can do it again, but better even, because, you know, they, they need they need a, an even better performance not to concede, to score. And it's not often that you, you score and win against City without conceding yourself. So it's still a long way, I think. Yeah, it's also not often that Dortmund put together two or three good games in a row. Is that fair? Yeah. Rafa? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I actually asked Mats Hummels after the game at City why it was that we don't see Dortmund like this more regularly because they were really good on the night. And he he smiled and he took a long time before he answered. And he said, well, this kind of performance, you work for it and you earn it in training. And I guess the implication was that uh, perhaps the team don't always train as as hard or as as focused as they were against City, uh, let's hope that they can uh, repeat the performance because they really did themselves justice for a change. Hmm. Well, there you go, City with the advantage, but that tie by no means over. Over, of course, the other uh, Champions League game coming up, Chelsea Porto, which probably is. I mean, you never know, but it probably is because they've already faced each other once in Seville. It was the away leg for Chelsea, and they won two nil. And so, yeah, Chelsea through. Yeah. All right, then. It's looking like they scored four goals under Thomas Tuchel the other day. Uh, it was the first time they scored so many under the German manager. Uh, so far, they have won all the games by one or two goals, but they never mm -hmm. scored four. So this is definitely a good omen for them. But for Porto, Taremi is returning, and he is a very important player too. So let's see. I think that uh, Chelsea will have the upper hand. Okay. That's the Champions League midweek and also the Europa League as well. Next up, we're going to be talking about some more cup action, though, with the Copa del Rey. Yes, another one. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. 
Alvaro, Saturday it's another cup final in Spain. Once again, Athletic Bilbao are involved, taking on Barcelona, who, if memory serves, you beat already this season, 3-2 in the Spanish Super Cup. In the Spanish Super Cup, yeah, that's it. So I think that there is some pressure for Barcelona in this game uh, because they it looks like they could only win the cup title this season, especially if Real Madrid are involved in the title race. Um, after losing El Clásico, it would be great for Barcelona to lift the trophy. And for Athletic de Bilbao, I think that the feeling was that the winnable cup final was against Real Sociedad and the one against Barcelona was going to be very difficult. So there is a little bit of a bad feeling at Athletic de Bilbao, a fan base with the, the defeat against Real Sociedad, especially with the manner, uh, the way Athletic lost it. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting final because uh, for both teams it's very important. It's going to be a benchmark for what happens next. For Barcelona, uh, they, could, they could be invigorated for the remainder of the season and trying to go for the title race. Kuman needs a trophy just to vindicate himself uh, to the eyes of Laporta, the president, whether he will continue or not. And for Athletic Club Bilbao, look, we have lost, I lost the count, really. I think I have five finals in the last 12 years. Our honor list could be much bigger if we have done at least half the job. And we haven't. So... This is another chance against a Barcelona that is not as good as the team that beat us in 2009, 2012 and 2015. In all those three finals, Barcelona was phenomenal and they were the best team in Europe. Right now, they are not. So, is it a winnable game for Athletic Club Bilbao? Not. But I think that there is a percentage of possibilities uh, for Los Leones. Wow. Well, it's a very even report you've just given us, but your heart must be beating giddily in anticipation of, when is it? It's Saturday, Saturday evening, is that right? Yes. Is it going to be on is. TV this time? I don't think so. I find a way to watch it, but uh, I haven't even checked, really, because uh, there is always a way. But uh, yeah, it's very disappointing that, uh, that here in the UK, uh, the Spanish Cup final cannot be uh, found anywhere. It's extraordinary. It's the biggest day in uh, athletics history for what? Two, two weeks or so? For two weeks, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the good thing is that we can make Real Sociedad the shortest title holder. Mm. So that's another Sweet mm, another motivation for us, yes. It's almost like when Serie A sells their TV rights to DAZN um, for two and a half billion euros and then a week later, uh, during the uh, broadcast of the intergame, <laughs> it cuts out completely. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in, uh, in, in less, in less savoury news, Alvaro, uh, I see La Liga has found no evidence that Juan Carlos racially abused Mukhtar Diakabi in the recent Valencia-Cadiz uh, match. Apparently, they studied audio and used lip-reading experts. Valencia responded that just because they didn't find any proof didn't mean it didn't happen. Well, that, that wasn't quite the line taken by uh, Javier Tabas, the, uh, the Liga president, when he, he said that Carlos is not a racist. Uh, Diakabi must have misunderstood. Yeah, that's a that's a, a statement that he shouldn't have done because uh, I know that the presumption of innocence has to prevail, and I do believe that uh, despite having many cameras uh, pointing at the ground, sometimes not every single angle can be captured, and I am sure that there is no foot. If there is no footage of that, uh, there's nothing that can be done. Uh, it's difficult to believe, though, that the Akavi would have made up. Uh, you know, uh, such a such a scene after being insulted. Uh, there are a couple of things here that 
have to be said as well. Uh, I think that Juan Cala um, used a word uh, when he tried to justify himself in front of the press that was misunderstood by English media. He said that they were lynching him. And I think that this word uh, in English has some maybe racist connotations, but in Spanish nobody knows about that. So Cala didn't want to use that word mm. just to offend anybody. And um, also the fact that um, there has been a lot of uh, defense of Kala in social media that uh, you don't know exactly where it's coming from, but uh, the debate has been too ideological in this case between all those who believe that insulting something like this is something that is part of football, saying something like this, like uh, that has to remain on the pitch, and all those who like me, who think that saying something like this is something abhorrent and abject. And even in the context of a football game, when your heartbeat is uh, 100 uh, beats per minute, uh, shouldn't be safe. But yeah, there is no evidence. Uh, probably Juan Cala uh, is going to be remembered by this. And I want to see what happens the next time Diakabi and Cala face each other, because Diakabi was really, really, really upset when that happened. Cala, Cala also said that there's no racism in Spanish football, which is obviously completely untrue. And I... I, you know, and, and I'm not saying that he said something racist to Jacoby, but we've seen Iñaki Williams, who is a player that... At Espanol. Alvaro, yeah, you yeah. know, and that was not an abuse from another player, but from fans, we've seen it in Spain, like we've seen in many other countries in Europe. So for him to come out and say in his own defense, no, no, there's no racism in Spanish football, I thought was, was, was completely too much. There, there is racism in Spanish society. Obviously, I don't know how much or the, which are the levels, but there is, of course. Um, and let's not forget one thing as well. Uh, Javier Tebas has declared in the past that he votes for the Spanish far right, uh, a party called Vox. And uh, that party is saying terrible things about immigration and about the uh, LGTB community as well. And Javier Tebas has declared that, that he votes for them. So if you want to be the president of a competition, that uh, I think that inclusion is one of their you know, their motos, uh, maybe you should refrain from making those statements and definitely from revealing who do you vote for because nobody actually cares about who do you vote for. Keep it to yourself. Well, quite, Alvaro. Uh, very good. Well, let's conclude today's Totally Football show with a couple of uh, tweets that people have very kindly sent in. Sasuheno asks, what is a better suit for Jay Ling's? Barcelona or Real Madrid? What do you think, Alvaro? <laughs> They both want him, and that's we know that. Huesca? Really? That's so Ooh, harsh. That's Come mean, on. That's All right. Villarreal. Villarreal. Really? Villarreal. You, you th that's the perceived level of Jesse Lingard in, among Spanish football observers. I, I think that I am being nice and generous. He is a player the, uh, who plays for West Ham United. He could play for Villarreal. Right. Would you, would you have him at PSG, J Jules? No chance. What? what? Nah. Jesse Lingard. Yeah, nobody scored more goals in than the last Jesse. five minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's got Antonio Conte's Inter written all over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that would be amazing. Come to City, Jesse. Sammy uh, Jules asks how much impact the potential loss of the likes of Mbappe, who's still being linked heavily and might mm. be even more heavily linked with the likes of Real Madrid, were PSG to go out of the Champions League, uh, how much impact that would have on the upcoming negotiations or renegotiations for the French TV rights? No, that, that, that will have an, an impact. That's why everybody is really hoping that he will stay, that Neymar will stay, that maybe Memphis Depay could stay somewhere in France, although he looks, this one looks really, really unlikely. But, but that you could, you could have a very uh, attractive 
Liga next season and for the years to come with all those names and all those stars and everything, that would make people pay a lot of money for it. Media Pro was a disaster, as we mentioned all season on the show, and now they're hoping for a fresh start with Canal Plus, Amazon, The Zone, whoever, whoever they want. But certainly it's easier to sell your rights with Mbappe and Neymar in them than with Alvaro, James, Rafa and I, and you, James. So, you know, it's, uh, I think they're really hoping at the league that when, when they will sit down and negotiate with all those people, it's not us that they can offer, but Neymar and Mbappe. Okay. Fair Although enough. we do a good job to promote Liga in the world, you know, For but sure. it's not the same. It's not the same. All right then. I watch all of Jules's weekly roundups on Ligan's mm. uh, Twitter. Oh account. yeah, thank you. Very passionate. One is dropping tomorrow, so make sure you uh, and you send it to your, all your families. The more clicks we get, the better. Okay, but that's actually uh, on Tuesday. One has dropped today. I think you mean Jules. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Uh, Jules, another one for you. We hear a lot about the successes of the PSG Academy for other teams, but how many? actual of their own footballers come through to their team and why are so few and then they spend hundreds of millions on Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria, Draxler etc because not all the academy graduates are good enough to play for PSG which is the same in every big club sure you know, this but do they get a very sticky. low rate of return on their academy do they lose the big names to other clubs yeah, they lose. They tend to lose some regularly. We saw Kingsley Coman leaving to go to Juventus first and now Bayern on a free. Adrian Rabiot left on a free, but at least he had a longer career at the club. We saw Nkunku, we saw Diaby, we saw Kwasi, we saw Aushish. I mean, there's been plenty and there will be more because in a way the academy is too good for, for PhD in the sense that not all of those very good players could make it to the first team. So some will go without signing their first professional contract, so go on a free. Others will sign pro, play a bit, and then will go for 10, 15, 20 million, like the likes of uh, Augustin, Oton Edouard, Nkunku, Diaby, all those people, because there's still a feeling that they might not just be good enough to make it as a regular starter in that team. And then there will be the outstanding talent who will make it and who will stay. But it's a... It's a, it's a tough one because you want a balance between how much you spend on big players and the one that you can breed from your own academy. But it's just not as, as simple as that because, again, not all the generations will be good enough. If one makes it, it's already a really good thing. But then also you've got so much talent there that you can't really fully use. That mm. it's, a bit, it's a bit annoying. So I guess the best way is to keep the best one and make sure you play them and keep them. And the others are, who are not maybe just good enough, you sell them and make a bit of money out of them. Well, there you go. Many thanks for everyone who wrote in. And thank you, Alvaro, James, Rafa and Jules for taking us through the weekend and the games to come over the midweek. Best of luck, everybody. Thank with you. All the thank you. Thanks, coming James. Up. Thank you. We need it. Yeah. We'll James be back next Tuesday reviewing those games and, of course, the subsequent weekend action on the Totally Football Show European Edition. Do hope that you will be joining us then, listener, and that you have a splendid week in the meantime. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. 